Good morning. Our Bible reading for this morning comes from James chapter 1. We'll be reading from verses 19 to 27. Uh, if you've got one of these Bibles that you picked up on the way in, now you can find that on page 977. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen behind me. So James chapter 1, starting at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, sorry, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what, in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. If you didn't pick up already, uh, the theme of this morning is listening to God, to listen to Him clearly and understand what He's saying. So to do that, a good start would be to pray to Him to ask that He would reveal Himself to us this morning as He promises. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we do come here together this morning from uh, yeah, having different weeks and different things going on in our lives. Uh, Lord, wrestling with who You are and how to draw near to You. Lord, we've got so many questions. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be still this morning, to listen to you, that we would stop any blockages uh, that's, that's stopping us from understanding you and that we would be able to draw near to you and that you would come near to us just as you promise. Amen. I'm not big on evolution, but there is a change that's gone on in, uh, for men. And that is, uh, since the invention of TV and combining it with sport, we've had to adapt to different things. Uh, see, I think for many men, we've developed this gift of listening to two things at once. See, what's happened is, uh, in my household anyway, uh, the TV's on, the news is on. Yeah, news is like, you get a headline, that's okay. The sport comes on, and it's important to get every detail of sport right. If somebody's busted their left knee or right knee, that's important. Is it a dry pitch? Is it a green pitch? These decisions, these things that are happening, are going to, uh, they're going to dictate what happens in the future. So we need to know what is going on. But just at that important time, when the sports are on, you're there focused, you're taking it all in, somebody comes into the room and wants to talk. It happens all the time, doesn't it? Uh, they want to talk to you. So men have evolved, I don't like using the word evolve, but we could say God has gifted us, uh, with the art of listening to two different things. So the TV's up on the wall and somebody's 
come into the room, starts talking. I think I'm particularly gifted at this. Uh, you've got the art of engaging in the conversation without losing contact on the TV. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. And if you're really good, you combine it with another thing of nodding and uh, frowning or using a, a forehead as well. Oh, oh I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Engaging in the conversation. So that's a third skill. Only if you're advanced you could do that. So, yeah, oh, that's no good. Yeah, no, that's, that's rough. Yeah, yeah. One day, something happened. Kim said to me, is the sport finished on the TV? I'm like, that's an interesting question. Why is she asking that? She doesn't usually watch the sport with me. Um, so, yeah, so why? And she goes, I want to know if I can come in and talk to you or not. And then I realised... We're in trouble, guys. They're on to us. They know how it works. In fact, this is pretty major because now we see that women have evolved to understand men when they're not listening or listening to two things at once. They've caught up to us. This is significant. We might be in a bit of trouble. We might have to start listening now. Um, I think I've overcome it. My evolutionary brain has uh, said, why not use the record button? So now I can, when that situation happens, I can record. So now I can watch the TV and when the news is finished, I can record, listen to the conversation later. It's easy, see? I've got it worked out. I can do it. But see, we laugh, but we all do it, don't we? We're all ba bad listeners. We want to listen to something, but we're engaged with something else. Uh, we we want to hear what's going on in this part of somebody's life, you know, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's something on the internet, even cats on YouTube. But yet we're missing out on what's going on around us and seeing uh, the, being engaged in the real conversation of what's happening. And this is what James is saying. This is not just a problem since the invention of TV. He's saying people have been doing it, Christians have been doing it, since the start of Christianity, that God is talking to us, but we don't listen. We're distracted by other things. Or, or we say, yes, God, yes, God, we're listening, but we're really interested in what's going on over here. So we don't actually engage with God. We don't listen, we don't hear, we don't understand what he's saying. And that's a problem. It's a big problem. For James' listeners, uh, he sets a scene like this. He starts off uh, this section by saying, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Now, can I ask, if you weren't here last week, who is James anyway, that he would write this and write it in this sort of way? So James is uh, he's the minister at the church in Jerusalem. And you've got to go, Jerusalem? That's where the first church actually started. Uh, so when Jesus uh, died, rose again, ascended, uh, he left the disciples, they waited for the Holy Spirit to come, then they started preaching when the Holy Spirit came, and thousands of people came to trust in Jesus, believed in Jesus. And the church grew by the thousands, and it was cool back in those times. They could sit, they could listen, they could listen directly to the, the, the apostles who were there with them. Can you imagine that, if you had an apostle with you, that you could ask him questions, and, you know, did that really happen? What is going on here? They could do that. And the Word of God transformed their lives. So instead of just going home and looking after themselves or going to the temple once a week, they would catch up with each other every day together to meet with the, to hear from the apostles, to share meals. They said they sold their possessions so they had enough money to help each other, others in need. It completely turned their lives upside down. But in Jerusalem, if you keep reading Acts, it's not all, all happy days because then persecution come. They started stoning the key leaders, in you know, a guy called Stephen, um, a guy called Paul that you meet later in, in Acts. Um, he starts 
arresting and beating up Christians going from house to house. There's massive persecution. So this, the believers in the first church had to decide, are we going to stay in Jerusalem or are we going to go for the protection uh, of our own families? And many of them left. Left Jerusalem. It's kind of like in the safety of, of home, being kicked out of home, or not kicked out, but leaving home for the first time, going into the big wide world. And now all of a sudden... They're not sitting down with the apostles for teaching. They're not uh, engaged in this intense relationship with God and with each other. But now they're kind of in these small pockets of churches and they're trying to work out how to live. But they're working out, you've got God sort of speaking to them this way, but they've got all the world yelling at them this way. This is how you run a household. This is how you work. This is how you save. This is how you look after yourself. And all of a sudden, God's voice is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And James see this, and he writes to them. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, it's like he's still their pastor. saying, look, I can see what's going on. I know it's hard for you, as we heard last week. But he says, I've got a message for you. Take note of this. Take note of this. Now he's right, the thing I like about James, and one of the reasons that we're, we're doing it, we always study through books of the Bible, but one of the reasons I like it for this time, it's like it's, he's writing to us. It is timeless. See, James has already explained what a believer looks like. A believer, uh, in the, very, uh, the verse that just went just before this, uh, described as someone who's had new birth through God. God's given them new birth, they're a new creation, they're not the old selves anymore. They're a child of God. We're the first fruits. That's the most precious thing that God has. He's made us his first fruits just for him. It also talks about getting given the crown of life from him. We are different to the world. We're very privileged. But we're God's children through Jesus Christ. But we're still living in this world over here. So we're... we're got a loving father god who looks after us talks to us cares for us but we're still living in another world here that's kind of like we're a foreigner and it's easy for us to stop listening to god because he's just a little voice now because i'm still living in this world and i get all these voices speaking into my life telling me how to live and i'm kind of picking up all those things i'm not sure whether you, you get that i certainly feel it it's easier to listen to what's on tv than to pick up my Bible and hear what God is telling me. So James is asking the question, do you listen to God? When was the last time you sat down and listened to God? Not just read a verse for the day, which is still helpful and gets our mind focused on good things, but really sat down and listened and walked away as a changed person. That God is speaking to me. And God speaks to me. He's doing things in my life. When was the last time that happened? James saying, it should be happening all the time. But he's going to give us a few listening tips to help us, which is really helpful. We can't just um, beat ourselves up if we're not hearing God. But he's going to give us some do's and don'ts. He's going to show us three ways of listening. And he goes on, the first way of listening, or not listening, is if you're deaf if you're not hearing at all. He goes on in verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent 
and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. He says, so the person James is just describing here, the person he's talking to, is not someone who doesn't like church, never turns up to church, not interested in God and just not hearing. He's talking to people from his own church that say they listen. They're there to hear. But he says, you're here, you're sitting in church, but you're just not getting it. It's not sinking in. You're not listening. See, for James, he says, if you are listening, and here is the test, if you are listening, you should see a difference in how it shapes your life, how it affects your life, impacts your life. Because when we listen, it does, uh, and understand, we do draw near to it. We do get exposed to it. We do um, engage with it in an emotional level and know we need to address this thing, whether it's in conversation with someone or hearing it from God. Hearing and understanding is very different from just listening. But he says, I want this for your good. He says, I want your life to produce the righteousness that God loves. He says, I want your life to reflect what your Father God is like. If you're one of his children, live like him. Honour him. Worship him by that. He says, accept the word God planted in you. Saying, be the good soil. The good soil that Jesus talked about. When Jesus planted the word, that's the message of the gospel. He plants the word in different soils. Some soils, the message just doesn't take. He's saying, be the good soil. Let it grow in you. Let it be strong. Let it be authentic. Let it not be just pushed around and die and wither. Have the good soil of God's word planted in you because that word can save you. See, what your life shows, shows how much you're listening to God. See, lots of people seem to be going around, they're quick to tell everybody else what they think. They're quick to get angry at everybody else because they're not listening to them. They're quick to... um, conduct their lives in an ungodly manner, live lives that aren't honouring to God. I mean, James uses uh, some very harsh words that they're they're living a life of moral filth and evil. And you go, man, that must be bad people to be doing stuff like that. No, he's just saying, you're not honouring God. You're not living the godly life. You're clinging to the old way of life and you're not listening to God. Now, there are a number of reasons. He doesn't show specifically why they're not hearing, why they're deaf, and it's just not getting inside their heads. And I thought about this, and I reckon there's a few that we tend to get when we're sitting in church, uh, and we're at church kind of for the wrong reasons. Let me list four for you. And you can decide whether you've experienced this yourself, uh, whether that's something you need to address right now this morning. See, some people think they don't need to listen. You know, I I know it all, I've been around church all my life, you know, I've read the Bible, I know it all, I don't need to to come. I've said that to people when I've invited them to growth groups. Well, I don't really need that sort of stuff because, you know, I know it all. And you kind of go, you're learning all the time, we're on this life journey together, you can't just say, I know it all, you've got to be listening. The second kind of person is the person who doesn't want to change. Well, they know they've got their life of ungodliness. They sin. They, don't, they know they're not honouring God in their life. But they know God's going to want to change them, change them into being a good person. They don't want to change, so they think it's all about morality. So I'm just going to not listen to God, and that way I can be ignorant. 
The third person is that their voice is more important than God's. You know, I know what the Bible's about, I know all my doctrines, I know all the key beliefs, and, you know, listen to me, let me tell you, rather than sitting down in submission to God's word and listening to God speak to them. Are you that kind of person? Or the fourth one is that sometimes people come to church and they've got lots of baggage and they're just broken, broken relationships all around them, and they start to think everything that happens at church, even though uh, we call ourselves a family, we start to get cynical, we start to think of hidden agendas and what are they saying. And they're so worried about everything else that's going on, dynamic-wise, with their relationships, that they're not listening to God. It stops them from hearing the gospel. It doesn't get in. Is that you this morning? See, any of those things, and there's just four that I've come up with, but there could be others... Are those things stopping you from hearing God speak to you? Because that's a good starting point. Let's clear out our ears. Is it, is it a problem I've got? Is it a problem I've got with other people? Is it an attitude thing? Because we need to address those things. Don't be deaf to God's word. He's saying, I want you to have the righteousness that God loves. I want you to accept the word of God planted in you. I want you to be the good soil, he says. And have that strong faith, authentic faith, is what he wants for us. Don't be deaf to his word. The next two are deceivers and doers. And he says it in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. See, some people are good at listening. They're here on a Sunday. Congratulations. You've made it on a cold, miserable morning. It would have been easy to stay in bed. You've made it. But are you just listening uh, and that's all you're doing? You're walking out unchanged, not challenged by God's word. He says, you're only deceiving yourself if you're not letting it come inside. Or are you doing? Are you doing what it says? That's a result of listening, hearing, understanding and doing. He says there's two more. Uh, he breaks them up. First one, he talks about deceivers, verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, I know you think that's a picture of me, uh, and in a lot of ways it is. Um, but I look at myself in the mirror, whether it's a bit steamy or, you know, I've got an overinflated ego. Uh, I don't see myself as I am. You know, I think I, I'm not doing too bad. Or, you know, I feel like a bit of a Brad Pitt today, and that's what I'm seeing in the mirror. You know, Brad Pitt's going a bit grey. You know, there's some similarities there. Maybe my face is a bit rounder, but then I'll just go and grab something to eat and think about that for a second. Um, but he's saying, not that you're not seeing yourself in the mirror properly. He's saying, do you actually seeing the real you and are you doing something about it or are you walking away from the mirror forgetting it? It's like a pretend it never happened that God spoke to you and revealed this to you. I want to introduce you to a word that's a real nerdy word uh, called exegesis. Uh, where to exegete something, uh, it's a Bible college word, so you don't have to remember, but it explains a lot of things what God's word doing. To exegete something is to pull it apart, have a good look at it, to understand it better. So for Bible college students, a good way of justifying that they're doing something. Sorry, Jay Ash, I used to be a Bible college student, I felt this. When everybody else is saying, I'm going to mow the lawn, or I'm going to wash the car, you can say, I'm going to exegete a passage. And it kind of makes you feel like you're doing something. Uh, but what it is, 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 yeah, it's trying to understand what's going on in a particular verse. 
Uh, so Bible college students use it a lot. Now, when I was at college, you've got to remember, I was a motor mechanic, went to college, like, what is going on here? I knew what this word meant, trying to understand a verse, but uh, when I had to write a 2,000-word assignment on exegeting a verse or two, it was like, how do you do that? So my lecturer kindly helped me. He says, you used to be a motor mechanic. Think of exegeting as you've got an engine, it's got a problem. What I want you to do is pull the engine apart, or what you would do, pull the engine apart, pull it all in bits. You'd inspect all the bits, see what bits are worn out, what bits are cracked. Uh, you'd clean them all up, uh, see what's usable, see what's got to be replaced. And when you worked out what the problem might have been, you start putting it back together. And when you get it back together, it should run perfectly. Or even if it doesn't, you know what's going on inside that engine. Right? Pull it all apart, lay it all out in front of you, inspect all the bits, put it back together. That's what I want you to do with this verse. So for a verse, uh, say if you're in a verse in James, James is written in Greek, ancient Greek, so you've got to understand your Greek. You've got to pull out your Greek words. You've got to understand, are they, are they verbs? Are they nouns? What's the tense they're talking about? Who are they talking about? Me, you, or them? Um, get the grammar right, so the word order right, because it's not going to translate straight over. Once you've understood every word, you then put it back together. Uh, you interpret it. So you... you um, You've written down in English so we can understand it. But doing all this takes a good 15 minutes a verse. So, well, it depends how good you are at it. But for me, it would take at least that long. Uh, but it feels like you've really anchored yourself in that way. You've pulled it apart. You've stripped it down. You've worked out every word. And it kind of, just the exercise of looking at each word is really helpful to understand what is this verse actually saying. Now, the danger there is... Uh, for Bible college students or any of us. When we do that, we're kind of, we're looking at it, we're understanding it, we're interpreting it, so we're pulling it back together and giving it meaning when it might have this word could mean this or this. So we pull it together, we give it meaning that we're kind of standing over the word. It's almost like I've written it. This is my work. Uh, and it kind of, it's helpful to understand it, but it gives a sense of I'm sitting over the top of God's word here by doing it. But what's really going on, as you dig deeper into God's word, instead of you exegeting it, it exegetes you. So what's going on in God's word here is that as we try and understand what's going on, it speaks to us. But as God speaks to us, I mean, even as James is talking, he's talking about what are you doing with your life? But in the process of what are you doing, he says, I'm going to pull you down, pull you down into parts. Let's start with your ears. Are you listening? Let's start with your head. Are you understanding? Let's have a look at your heart. Is there something going on in your heart that is stopping you from understanding? Now let's look at your hands. Is there something stopping you with your hands from letting that message go through your ears, your head, your heart, into your hands to start doing? It's kind of like we've been ripped open by this passage. This is what James is saying. When you look in a mirror that God's word is speaking to you and it reveals stuff about you, that we're not only understanding God better, but we're understanding ourselves better. Are you just going to walk away forgetting what you just saw? Or are you going to let God speak to you, to look at every part of your body, every part of your being, and go, what are you really like? What do we learn from that? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about ourselves? And what difference does that make? He's saying if you walk away thinking it doesn't make any difference, well, that was an interesting talk, and you walk away, go home, it's the same thing on Monday that you used to be. He's saying you're deceiving yourself. Look in the mirror. What is God showing you? 
And then what difference does it make? Because it should make a difference. It should make a difference. It says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, it's like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what, what he's like. So we need to see and understand what we are really like and what even James is showing us this morning, sometimes we don't actually like what's on the inside, uh, how much we ignore God or push him away. James says, you can't go on thinking everything's okay. You know, if you've got a noise in your engine, if you keep ignoring the engine, oh, it's different today, it'll go away sometime soon. usually ends up more expensive if you don't get it looked at. James saying, look, you need to deal with this stuff. The longer you deceive yourself, you're just putting it off and it's going to get worse. And he gives us an example of what that's like in verse 26. Sorry. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. He says, it doesn't matter if you're a minister, if you're an elder, if you're here every week, if you're up the front serving. If what we're doing here on Sunday matters, it should show on Monday. If you're just like the rest of the world, you're not identified as a child of God on Monday, well, you're just deceiving yourself. Everybody else can pick it. I like what he says. He says you're trying to deceive everyone. No, he says you're just deceiving yourself. Everyone else can pick it. Everyone can tell you a story. I don't lost count how many times I've met people and when you tell them you work in a church, uh, they go, oh yeah, I've had an experience of somebody from a church. They were, oh, this super goody-goody, but then they let me down their lies. They're cheaters. They're deceivers. Everybody can pick when you're deceiving. But James says... You're only deceiving yourself if you think that you're pleasing God by here listening. But if you're not here understanding and doing, God knows. God knows. Don't be that sort of hypocrite. Don't deceive yourself. Don't just walk away and be the same old, same old on Monday. That's the deceivers. What about doers? Doers who hear and understand and do things. He says in verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, what James says, if you're reading the whole book of James, and I hope you're doing that during the week, you've got to understand, there's not a lot of Jesus language in it. But you read it, and Jesus is the backdrop. It's the context. It's, it's implied in everything. And sometimes James uses some of these shorthand words just to point to Jesus, but his listeners kind of answer, oh, that's how James works. We need to understand that's how James works. So when he talks about uh, look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, what is he talking about? Is it like the Ten Commandments law of the law of the Old Testament? Uh, no. Because we're filtering everything James is saying through Jesus, through the gospel message, he's talking about something more like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus applies the Ten Commandments. Uh, so what Jesus says is something like, uh, you say, do not murder, but I tell you this, so the teachers of the law are saying that's what the Old Testament, but I tell you, anybody who thinks an evil thought about someone is committing murder. You kind of go, wow, that's pretty hard. 
actually, I like the Old Testament law better. It's just not killing someone. But Jesus, the Old Testament law sets a bar here. Jesus sets the bar here. How is that a good news, a message of the, the law that gives freedom? It sounds like it's binding us more than gives freedom. But James says, look, look into it. Look intently into it. Exegete it. So you go through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and every time the law says this, Jesus says this, and let it exegete you. And you go, man, I know my heart. I know I get angry at people. I know I'm like committing murder in my heart. That's what Jesus is saying. So what am I to do about it? If this is what Jesus is saying to me, if I've understood it right, that Jesus said this in the bar way up here, what am I meant to do about it? And exegeting the passage, let it exegete you, and it just forces you to look to Jesus. So I can't do it. I can't be holy enough to please God. I need to find somebody who is holy enough and find out what they're doing and how to do it. And it's Jesus. Jesus is the one that lived the perfect holy life. But not just he's the example, he's just how you do it. Because I know my heart, I'll never do it. But what he does, he says, okay, follow me, trust in me. And then throughout his life, he then uh, meets people, sinners, broken people, people that haven't got their life together, that aren't religious. And he takes their burdens, he takes it on himself, and he dies for that, he takes it to the cross. That that life that deserved death, he took the death. He took my death. He took my, my sinful heart. But he says, I'm taking your death so yours will be washed clean. Here, I'm giving you my clean heart. I'm giving you my righteousness. So you will be right with God. God sees you as holy and righteous as he saw me. So it points us to Jesus to trust in him to trust in his death and resurrection, everything he did on the cross. That way I have the new life. I have the crown of life. I have a new heart through Jesus. So James is saying, look at the perfect law that gives freedom. Look to Jesus and what he's done. See, if you're a doer, he says, let that do its work first in your life. Let it exegete you. Let it rip you open. See what sort of heart and mind and hands that you have. And let it be refreshed and renewed. And when you've got that, that will change you. Because it's easy to say, this is why the gospel is good news. Trust in Jesus, and I don't have to worry about the law anymore. If I trust in Jesus, I don't have to worry about all those rules and regulations. And there's some truth in that. We need to trust in Jesus, and the rules and regulations uh, don't make us any more righteous than what Jesus gives us. But he says, it's only half the story. Your behaviour, your religiousness, your righteousness, self-righteousness is not going to earn any more love or favour from God. But what Jesus is saying, with my love and favour poured out to you undeservedly through grace, it's a free gift, what is that going to do? I don't have to obey the law, but I want to obey God. God loved me so much, I can walk away and not love anybody else, but what does that show? I haven't really understood it. But if I've experienced God's love on my life, his compassion, his healing hand, if I've experienced that, I want to do that for others. He says it will make a difference. Whoever looks intently to the perfect law that gives freedom, looks to Jesus and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, not like a mirror. We're going to talk about this today. Jesus gives you a new life and on Monday you're back to your old ways. Not like that. Don't just walk away and forget what you've seen. 
but not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all they do. They'll be blessed in all they do. So it's changed, it's transferred. We've heard. We know we've messed up. But he addresses that and we're given new life and we're going to respond in, a, in the right way. Another example, James is great in applying this with real life examples. Verse 27. He said, Religion that our God and Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted in the world. See, often we think about pure religion, the purity of church even, the purity of worship. We're talking about uh, different doctrines, who's got the wrong or right doctrine, different worship styles, what we're doing in here, what's wrong and right. This is purity, this is true worship, or this is true doctrines. Now, I'm not saying let's not think about those things, but it's interesting how James applies it, isn't it? He says if you understand rightly the gospel, it will change your life. You'll stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about others. If you've experienced God's love, you'll be looking for opportunities to love others. If you've experienced God's reaching out to you and blessing you in whatever particular way, you want to reach out and bless others in that particular way. That's how it works. Not to earn more of God's favour, but it's exegeting you, it's pulling you apart, it's making changes, and you're starting to be a doer. What you've heard with your ears and you've taken in with your head and understood is change your heart, now your hands are in action. This is what he's talking about, to be a good listener. It shows when it filters through, you become a doer. So has the gospel impacted your life? Have you really sat down and looked at Jesus and what he's done for you? Take a step out of yourself, in a sense. What would you expect that to look like in your life? A Christian, somebody who's been taken as an outsider, given new life, welcomed in to God's family, to given all the privileges of God's children, to give an eternity, something to live for where there's no hurts, no pain, but going forever and ever. God's given that to you, even when we don't deserve it. How should that different should the difference should it make or do we just walk away and forgetting i want to tell you there's lots of ways i've been encouraged in this church uh just amazing to see uh such a group of people that so they get it they get it and particularly in recent times i've just been astounded i've been hearing stories of stories so without embarrassing anybody i just want to give you a few examples of some of the things that have been going on where people are doing things not because they have to but because they want to out of a response to the gospel a few random picks uh you pick out someone you know see this year if all our kids turn up or from all our families we'll have you know biggest kids church we have but we're asking people to we need more teachers and lots of people have been putting their hands up giving up their time they could be sitting here they could be enjoying uh listening uh, but no they're upstairs teaching thank you to all our kids church teachers there's more people in growth groups this year this is not just saying yeah i'm here on a sunday and i'm listening and i'll meet a few people they're saying i want to think about this during the week actually i want to talk about it with other people and how they're applying it to their lives during the week so it's been encouraging to see more people in growth groups this year um there's lots of things going on behind the scenes with hospitality, people cooking meals for each other. Uh, that's been a great encouragement to see. 
There's been people have been putting a lot of time into this building, and that still continues to, to finish things off. And you go, great, we want a nice building. But no, it's not about having a nice building. It's so more people can come in here, uh, have a nice environment where they can hear the gospel clearly. It's all about the gospel. I'm sure those people got other things to do with their time if they wanted to. A couple of weeks ago, we had Michael from Compassion uh, come and give a talk, and it was kind of a little bit unannounced. We didn't prepare uh, us that, that he's coming, and he's going to ask us about sponsoring children. But we had eight, eight kids sponsored that morning. That's not just eight kids sponsored, but eight uh, families changed. And as he explains, eight villages changed. Not just they got food and water, but, but they're going to grow in their love and knowledge of Jesus in that process. Also, during the week, I'm not going to embarrass people to name names, but a number of people have given up their time during the week to, to do things like teach RI in schools. Yeah, that's half a day commitment to go and do that. But they do it. People running playgroup. Playgroups, not just for mums to come and enjoy themselves or mums and dads, uh, but it's opportunities to bring your friends to build those gospel relationships. The English for Life. A number of people come in here, uh, set aside Wednesday mornings to, to run English classes for people, but not just, to, not just teach them English, but to improve those relationships. And now this year they've started running a special like um, a, a dinner and Bible night where they're going to get together socially and talk about the message of the gospel. Uh, more time that people are committing to. There's guys, youth group, all the youth group leaders are away today with the kids. They're on a youth camp. Um, people running Christianity Explored, uh, doing that. But they're people giving up their time because they think this news is bigger than me. As a church, this changes things. We can be a church on mission for Jesus to show the rest of our community that this really does work. We've had a number of people say, I can come into the office and give you one day a week to do whatever you want, whether it's cutting out craft, whether it's admin, things like that. That's an amazing encouragement. Helps our budget heaps too, <laughs> the more things people do. But they get it. you got... Other things you could be doing on your day off. But to come in and help, people are getting it. There's lots of opportunities in the calendars for things to invite your friends to. It takes effort, but it's not effort when you see it's a privilege to, be, to see the gospel at work in your life and you can share that with other people. See, let's be a church that says what we talk about on Sunday, we're going to do on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday. In fact, we're going to be doing this for the rest of our lives because that's what the gospel does. It's changed the rest of our lives, even given us eternity. And that does change us. Whether it's in your workplace, whether it's in your school, whether it's in your families, there's lots of opportunities to show what Jesus has been doing in your life. We're going to take... Uh, uh, do something called the Lord's Supper uh, in just a few moments. And what we're doing there is we are stopping and reflecting. You know, keep it pretty quiet. Get your thoughts to yourself. You go, this is what Jesus has done for me. That he has died for me and given me new life. And I'm going to uh, remember that through the bread and the juice. But it's a way of pulling us back to the cross. Reminding us of the grace that he's poured out to us. I want to read for you, uh, as we go and do that, uh, a passage from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. If I even think it's up there. Uh, as I read, I'm going to read it slowly. I want you to think about the words, in a sense, exegete each line. What is this saying? And I want you to think about what is this doing in exegeting me? How is it pulling me apart? And what difference does it make? 
So when we do take the bread and the juice, that we are doing it in response to what he's done and the grace poured out. Let me read it for you if you want to close your eyes or if you want to follow it on the board, feel free. So this is Ephesians 2 from verse 1. See, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ, in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. It is not from yourselves, it is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he sat down with his disciples and he explained what was going to happen and he used it around a meal table. He held up the piece of bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body which is given for you. He was going to be broken for us. He held up the cup and he says, this cup is the cup of the new covenant which is shed in my blood which is given for you. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. So from now on we drink uh, the juice, we eat the bread, we remember what Jesus has done. He's given us new life. He's taken us from the dark world in our sin and given us life seated with Christ. That is good news. I'm going to pray. We're going to play some music. And then I'm going to invite uh, you to come forward because I think this is a part where we have got to listen and do. Often we do this when we're sitting down and the plate gets served around uh, and we just take it without a lot of effort. I want you to think about what you're doing. That I'm going to stand up. If you're a follower of Jesus, or if you, today is the day, where you say, I want to start trusting him. I want you to think about, come up, come to the table. Anyone who trusts in Jesus, grab the bread and the juice, go back to your seat, just hold on to it, because we're going to uh, eat and drink together, because that's what families do, we eat and drink together. Uh, if somebody's around you that can't come up for whatever reason, just offer, you know, do you want me to bring you something but it's good for us to come forward uh, to get it to come, go back and sit down and just in those quiet moments just reflect on what God is doing has done to your life and what he's doing to your life and are you listening and hearing let me pray and then we'll do that dear father we do thank you for your love and your mercy upon us Lord you know that when you look in our hearts we know 
we aren't living lives the way you want. That we aren't living in true godliness, true righteousness. But Lord, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the way you've reached out to us in our hurt, in our darkness. And you've given us new life. We thank you for the cross, that you went to the cross, that you gave up your body, you shed your blood. So that we no longer have to fear death. That we can long for eternity and we long to see you there. But Lord, on this day, this moment, help us to help us to, to understand what you've done for us so that we might live for you and glorify you in living a good godly life uh, that, that, that is a life of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.